If you will turn in your Bibles to the ninth chapter, the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 43, as we continue our study through the Word. So you remember that Jesus' ministry is just continuing to grow. His popularity just continues to expand and, and to the point where now finding time to be able to minister to the disciples is getting more and more of a challenge for Jesus. And so he withdraws, heads up to the northernmost section of Israel, Caesarea Philippi. And you remember as he was up there, he, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they shared various different opinions, but then he got personal with them. Who do you say that I am? And you remember that Peter then declares, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. And you remember that Jesus' response was, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he tells them not to reveal that to everybody. But you can just begin to imagine how excited that moment was and how it electrified the disciples and they were never the same from that point on. Certainly they had had suspicions that he was the Messiah. It was certainly one of the, the, the popular opinions that was out there. But Jesus had not come out boldly and declared it as an absolute matter. And now Jesus had just declared to them that he is the Messiah. Now I want you to know that from the time that they could walk, from the time that they could talk, from the time that they were learning their Hebrews letters, the hope of the nation was the Messiah. Not only was, but also even is to this day. The promises of God's word that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to sit upon the throne of David. That he's going to rule in righteousness and that his kingdom will have no end. All power, authority, the government will be upon his shoulders and, and he will set up an everlasting kingdom kingdom. And now suddenly this hope of Israel had materialized and they were the disciples of uh, the Messiah. To them, the most powerful man on the face of the earth was Caesar. And Caesar's Roman Empire was spread throughout the known world. And, and there was the emblem of authority. Every soldier, every, every taxation, every aspect of the Roman Empire in their face. And now, now that was going to be overthrown. And Christ will rule and reign from Jerusalem and set up his kingdom. And we are the 12 apostles that are on the ground floor of this incredible moment of this incredible movement. From this point on, they would look at the Roman soldier and think to themselves, not for long, buddy. <laughs> We're going to rule and reign in righteousness. And and you remember that as, as soon as Jesus has declared to them that he is, in fact, the Messiah, as suddenly now the explosion of thoughts in their head, their hearts, their, their minds, their life, he immediately begins to try and teach them and instruct them that, that the kingdom isn't the type of kingdom that they're thinking about and that the timing isn't going to be the timing that they are expecting. And, and so you you'll remember that that he immediately tells them that the son of man is going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And, and none of that, that just goes right over their head. They don't hear any of that. Did you hear what he said? He's the Messiah. 
I mean, this was an unbelievable moment uh, in their lives. And, and then you'll remember that he began to teach them about the true cost of discipleship, that if anyone desires to come after me, that he has to deny himself and, and take up his cross and, and follow after him. And he begins to, to teach them, again, the kingdom principles now of living for God's glory and not for self and, and what the kingdom of God is truly all about. And, and so you remember that from Caesarea Philippi, we saw how they then went to the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the, up to the mountain and the others are down below and Jesus is praying and, and they're falling asleep. And do you remember that as they kind of wake up, there's Jesus in his glory and the Shekinah glory of the Lord has burst forth. And, and then on top of that, there's Moses and Elijah. Now, from the time that they were this tall, they were taught the stories of Moses, the lawgiver. He was the one that faced down with Pharaoh and threw down the plagues and, and parted the Red Sea. And he's the one that went up onto Sinai and received the law. He led the children 40 years years in the wilderness where manna was all over the desert and there's Moses standing right in front of them and then Elijah he, he's the one that called fire down from heaven he was the most powerful of all of the prophets face down against the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel I mean and there's Elijah and the transfigured Lord and here they are having a conversation it's like pinch me is this real can this possible how can life get any better than this moment right now when they were up on top of that mountain and there is the Lord in his glory with Moses and Elijah. And you remember that as they are, you know, waking up, that then there is the cloud of, of heaven that comes and, and covers over all of them, rolls in on them. And then there's the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And, uh, and so you remember that, uh, that and afterwards, as, as it was just the Lord alone that, that, Jesus tells them, don't, don't say anything about this. Peter had wanted to build tabernacles and all, and, and they head back. You remember that Luke records what Jesus had been talking to Moses and Elijah about. And it was about his departure. It was about the cross. It was about now him heading to Jerusalem and, and being nailed to a tree to offer himself up as that ransom for humanity to pay for each and every one of our sins and to redeem us from the grip of Satan and from death and the ravages of sin. And, and Jesus begins now to, to focus uh, on the showdown in Jerusalem with the demonic realm to where he will gain victory over and authority over through his death there on the cross. And and he comes down with Peter, James, and John, and they're just elated. I mean, they're just off the chart. He's the Messiah, and they just saw Moses and Elijah in him. They come down, and, 
there's a tumult. Remember, there's a huge multitude that's gathered together. And there is that father with the demonically possessed son that rushes to Jesus's presence. And you remember that, that there had been all of the distractions of the, of the disciples as they had tried to cast out the demon out of this boy. And they were unable. And the father comes and, and begs Jesus to, to help him. And you remember that Jesus looks over the multitude. And he looks not at the people, but he looks at their souls. You know, we look at the outward, we look around and we see one another. But when the Lord looks at us, he sees our souls. And he was looking for faith. Are there any gathered here that are gathered because of faith? You see, the crowds were large, but they, they had come to see the events of the day. They hadn't come to see a miracle performed and and Jesus wasn't into being a miracle worker. He was there to set up the kingdom of God. And by grace, you're saved through faith. Faith is the way that you enter into the kingdom of God. Is there any faith that's here? And you remember that he was disappointed at the size of the crowd in comparison to the little faith that was there. He has always lived his life in the shadow of the cross. He has known that his appointment is with the cross, but now time is running short and the kingdom needs to be established and the disciples need to be readied in, in the crowd. So little faith here. He takes the boy and casts the demon out and, and hands the son back to his father and and continues on his work of getting the disciples ready and building the kingdom and preaching the message. No longer is he concerned with authenticating his message, though those days are gone now. He is simply going to focus on the work that is at hand. Meanwhile, the crowd, they, they've just seen a spectacular demonstration of Jesus's power and authority. They, they watched as the other disciples tried to cast out the demon and couldn't, but then comes Jesus and pow, and they are just blown away. And look with me here in this 43rd verse of the ninth chapter of Luke, it says, and they were all amazed at the majesty of God. The power of God on display and the, and the majesty of God. God's majesty. Have you stopped and, and marveled at his majesty any time lately? All power and glory and honor. The majesty of almighty God. Just stop for a minute and, and cast your heart there for a second. The majesty of the creator God of the universe. And, and the psalmist declares in Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is powerful. And the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The majesty, power, honor, glory, the majesty of God. Psalm 93 says the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. That, that's what he wears for his garment. We look in our closet. I didn't find any majesty in my closet here, you know, to, uh, to put on. The, the Lord is clothed in majesty. You see, he's pure, perfect love. That's his DNA. We're flesh and blood. He, he's made out of pure, perfect love and clothed in majesty. Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
Oh, Lord, my God, you are <laughs> very great. And you are clothed with honor and majesty. Psalm 145. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. To stop and just ponder the majesty of God, the greatness, the glory, and the power. And, and as you just meditate on that and just are blessed by his glory and, and his awesome majesty, to then draw to your remembrance, what is man that you are mindful of us? In comparison to his glory and his majesty, what is man that you are mindful of us, that he cares for us? In his majesty, power, and authority that he's reached down and says, I love you, and I want a relationship with you, and I want to be involved intimately in your life. And, and so here, here are the crowd, and, and man, they are just the majesty of God, the, the power and presence of God on, on display. And, and may we always just uh, remember to take time to just meditate on his marvelous majesty. And so as the crowd is marveling at the power and the presence of God, we see that Jesus then kind of shifts gears here in verse 43. It goes on, but while everyone marveled at all these things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And so here we see that as everybody is just marveling and as the disciples are so excited and as the Peter, James, and John had just come down having seen him in, the, in his glory, in the transfiguration, and Jesus is trying to kind of put a ballast. They're, the disciples are about to float away, you know, into just the, the ether of just, of just all that is transpiring. And, and Jesus is trying to now kind of pull them, tether them back, back down. He's like, hey, guys, listen, pay attention. Wake up, you know. Don't you understand? Let these words, you're hearing me talk, but you're not understanding what I'm saying. See, what had Jesus been talking to Moses and Elijah about? His departure, about the cross, about Jesus going and offering himself up as the Lamb of God, uh, slain now for the sins of, of mankind. That's what Jesus is contemplating. And, and all the crowd is just wowing and ooing over the, uh, the miracle. And, and here he is trying to get the attention of the disciples. And in verse 45, what was their response? But they did not understand this saying. And it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. And so here we see that the, the disciples, they, he just said that he's the Messiah. And so this is, they are just running with their whole messianic expectation. And Jesus kept on talking about going to Jerusalem and suffering and dying and, and all of these things. But they couldn't compute that. They just kept on going back to their default. You see, their whole life they've been programmed with this picture of Messiah. And Jesus had said he's the Messiah. And so they are fully engaged in that. And, and, and he kept on saying things that didn't fit with the picture. But when they couldn't reconcile those two, they just cast out those words and just defaulted back to what, what their messianic expectation was. 
And we see now that verse 46, it says, then a, a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be what? greatest. So here's the Lord and he's got the cross in his sight. He's going to go and offer himself up. And the disciples are arguing amongst one another as to who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So I want you to know that here they are, you know, they're talking, they realize that Jesus is going to rule and reign over the entire earth. And so, so here they are saying, hey, which continent do you want to rule over, you know, as we're going to rule with him? What, what part of the kingdom do, do you want? What part I'm going to have? And here they are parsing up the world, you know, into, well, I don't want it someplace that's too hot or too cold, you know. And, you know, hey, here's the place they want. there, And they're bickering with one another. Now, scholars believe that the, one of the reasons that might have contributed to, uh, to the bickering that was going going on right now is, is that the disciples had just come back together again. Remember that the nine had been left behind and the three had gone up with Jesus and, and had had the experience up on the mountain. Then they come back and they're with the other nine. And it's like, oh, there they go again. Peter, James, and John, you know, you're, they're your favorites. You know, they're going to get the bigger portion than, than us here. Guys, we're the second class disciples. They're, they're the first class. And, and so there was all of this, you see, from the minute that they recognized that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. That's when we start to see them disputing and jockeying with each other. From, from that moment on, it's about the kingdom. And now who's going to be what in this kingdom as Jesus has confirmed that he, in fact, is the Messiah. And, and you'll remember the, the antics. Matthew records how, how James and John send their mother and she goes and, you know, and asks Jesus, Jesus, just one petition. Can I have my two sons on the left and right hand of you when you sit in glory? And, and how upset that all the rest of the disciples sent your mom, you know, to go back door and try and get the left and right hand. And so, so we've got all of this flesh now that's coming out in the disciples as, as they're kind of, you know, jockeying for position with one another. And, and so verse 47, it says, and Jesus perceiving the thought of their heart took a little child and set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. And so he takes this child and he, he places him next to him. Remember that on the right and left hand of Jesus is the position of honor. So he takes this child and puts him into the position of honor next to him. And he says that unless you become the least. You're not going to be great in the kingdom of God. And he begins to teach them that, that the world's values are a photo negative. Listen, they're a photo negative of the kingdom of God. The things that the world values finds no place in the kingdom of God. And the things that the kingdom of God values are not valued in this world. One of the things that this world values above everything else is gold collecting gold. Who's got the most amount of gold? How much money do you have in chasing after gold? That's what this world values. They value gold. And what are the streets made out of in heaven? 
gold. God says in heaven, that's asphalt, okay? What you're wearing around your neck, that's an asphalt necklace that you've got. Those are tar that you've got in your ear right now. The things that, that you're valuing, it's nothing in the kingdom of God. There's no value to it. We just, we pave our streets with that uh, in heaven. And we see that, that what does the world do? The, the world is seeking the glory of man. The glory of man. And we see that in the kingdom of God, it's all about his glory. And we don't compete with God's glory. He's the one that's worthy of all glory and honor and praise. But in the world, man, this world seeks to glorify man, the glory of man. Every single year, they're, they're printing out the lists of, uh, of the accomplishments and laying glory onto people. The 10 richest people every year, it's published. Who's got the most amount of money and here they are and who changed what position and so you you get those and publish the glory of man they'll publish who are the best looking people who's the sexiest top 10 people in the you know in the world and there's the list of the most beautiful women and the sexiest men alive and and there is the glory of uh, of man we we see that uh, that the world will give out its grammys and will give out its oscars recognizing the the glory of the artists we see that we glorify the athletes and the championships and the uh, and the world champions and and the Olympic heroes and, and the glory of man and the world is built around the glory of man and in the kingdom of God it's the exact opposite. We are to now take our strength and not to glorify ourselves but to now bring glory to God. You see in the in the world, it's, it's a game of king of the hill where you try and climb up to the top, climb over people, push people down, throw them off, and then defend it at all costs. And there, and there is the game, king of the hill. But you see, in the kingdom of God, it's about not you climbing over everybody to get to the top, but it, it's about you going to the bottom and lifting everybody up so that everybody gets to the top. That's the kingdom. And the disciples, they, they hear the kingdom of God, but they're applying the definitions of, uh, of success from the world and bringing those definitions into the kingdom of God. And, and he says, no, you, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you got to be the least. you got to be the least. I checked. You know what I've never seen yet is the 10 least people in the world. Uh, you know, the list of the 10 least. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't honor that. The world doesn't honor that. It doesn't value that. And so Jesus is trying to instruct them and teach them about what true greatness means. And in verse 49, it says, And now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. And so here's John. There were people casting out demons. They were exercising demons, and they were doing it in Jesus' name. Now, remember that in that day, there were exorcists that would take and, and cast demons out. So... So here are some of these exorcists, and now they're doing it in Jesus' name. 
And when John saw that, he was upset because they have the official distribution rights of the kingdom of God. And and these people here have the unofficial. They have a bootleg copy of what's going on here. And they're out there. And what is John feeling? John's feeling like, man, we're the authorized distributors uh, of the kingdom of God. And so he's challenged and threatened uh, by these other people that were doing the work of the kingdom. And what do we see? We see the flesh again. We see the flesh of these apostles as now they find out that the kingdom is being set up and he is the Messiah. And now they're getting territorial and they're getting possessive and they're getting competitive. We see this is the root of sectarianism. We see that this is also the root behind denominationalism. And we're, we're going to see that Jesus is just going to once again, he's going to look at him. And just think about that. Here, here he's doing a good thing. He's fighting against the, the ravages of evil, trying to cast out a, a demon from someone's life. And, and he did it in Jesus' name, in the power and authority. And, and so we see here that he had done a good thing. But yet that good work now threatens John. And so we see Jesus now, verse 50, but Jesus said to him, do not forbid him for he who is not against us is on our side. We can never get to the point where we are concerned of the spirit of God moving elsewhere and feel jealous uh, of that to, to where we want to see the kingdom of God prosper in every single church. We don't want to look at other churches as competitors, but rather that we are all on the same team. We want more churches. We want more healthy churches in, in our towns, in our cities, in our nation, in the world. And so when we start to become competitive with one another in the kingdom, we have our eyes on the wrong enemy. The enemy is, is the kingdom of evil. And so we are on one side, and that's what Jesus was saying here, that, uh, that we need to all work together, and we need to have a big view uh, of the kingdom, and we need to recognize who exactly the enemy is and not get drawn into conflict with other believers, but to focus our intention on who the true believers uh, are and who the enemy is. Now, Jesus is going to begin to head towards Jerusalem. And remember that he's up in Galilee, and that was the region around the Sea of Galilee in that area that's the northern part of the nation. That's where he concentrated his ministry. But now it's time to head to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is down in the south. <laughs> and, and so in between Judea, where Jerusalem is, and Galilee lay Samaria. Now remember you have the Mediterranean Ocean uh, that is on one side, and you have the Jordan River that runs down the other. And Jesus is going to head to Jerusalem. Now the Jews and the Samaritans, they had a long rift. They did not get along with one another. There's great hostility between these two groups. And it went all the way back <laughs> to the days when the nation was repopulated again and brought out of captivity. Remember the Jews were, uh, were taken into Babylon for 70 years. And, and it was during that time that, uh, that they continued to stay as a people group in Babylon. They kept their genealogies and precise that their blood wasn't mixed and that they could prove that they, they still were Jews and all the way back to what tribe that they would come from. When they came back 
to Jerusalem now. They came back to the nation. The, the Jews wanted everybody that was going to repopulate to prove that they, in fact, were Jews and that they could prove their genealogies. Some of the people in those 70 years had mixed, had married other people, and so they now were partial Jew and had intermixed marriages. And others had lost their genealogies and couldn't prove that they were actually Jews. So everybody that was mixed or couldn't prove that they were Jewish, they now were excluded from the worship that was going on at the temple when the Jews repopulated. And so they became the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans, they worshiped the same God because they were either Jews or they were mixed in, but they weren't pure blood Jews. So the Jews looked down on them. And so what they did is they built their own temple, the temple like the temple in Jerusalem. They built it on Mount Gerizim. And so the Samaritans always had this chip on their shoulder. They were these second-class citizens, and the Jews and the Samaritans wouldn't fellowship with one another. So when the Jews from Galilee, when it was time to go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, Oftentimes, they wouldn't cut straight through Samaria, even though that was the expedient way to go. They would head out to the Jordan Valley, to the Jordan River, walk all the way along Samaria, get to Jericho, and then cut back in and head up to Jerusalem. And that's, that's the way the Orthodox Jews would go. They wouldn't even enter into the land. So it's time for Jesus now to head to Jerusalem. And Jesus decides that he's not going to circumnavigate Samaria. He's going to come through uh, Samaria. But remember that there is a, a big divide between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so verse 51, it says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. That means ascended into heaven. So the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then finally the ascension. So it's time for Jesus now as he's focusing on the cross. Uh, it says time for him to be lifted up that he steadfastly set his face to go into Jerusalem. So steadfastly, we see the focus of our Lord becoming laser sharp now. The, the mission is clear. He is heading to Jerusalem. He is going to battle the religious leaders, and he is going to take the sin of mankind, drink from the cup, uh, and be offered on that cross. And so it says, and he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. He sends messengers ahead that the, the Lord is going to come. Jesus is going to come through this area. Now, the Samaritans had heard about Jesus. They had heard about the miracles and all his popularity all around. They had heard of him, and, and, and they were mildly interested in Jesus. And, and so Jesus sends an envoy ahead of him to say, hey, he's going to be passing through this area uh, on his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and, and notice that it says now in verse 53, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Now, between the Jews and the Samaritans, if you really want to get sparks to fly, just talk about the temple and going and worshiping at the true temple in Jerusalem. They, they had their temple on Mount Gerizim, and, and this was really one of the chief sources of irritation. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? 
And remember how when Jesus is talking to her and starts to get personal with her and she tries to deflect the conversation, the, the subject that she brings up is this very subject. She says, oh, I perceive that you're a man of God. Can you tell me, should we worship in Jerusalem or Mount Gerasim? And boom, you know, there's the issue between the Jews and the Samaritans, you know, right up and percolating right in front. And so when the Samaritans hear that Jesus is just passing through to go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, it's like, that's it, that the hostilities fly, and Jesus is not welcome. Well, this is upsetting to the apostles, and so we see their response here. And, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? And so, so he's offended. They're, they're insulted that the Samaritans aren't going to receive the Lord as, as he is coming through. And look at the flesh come out in the disciples. Here, over and over again, we're seeing the, the flesh come out. They're insulted. And so what do they want? They want vengeance. Well, let's just toast them. We'll just carpet bomb the whole area here and just wipe out everybody. Just like Elijah will call fire down. And so again, you know, James and John, where have they just come from? The Mount of Transfiguration. Who had they just seen? Elijah. And so here they are, you know, let's call fire down. There's two times in the scriptures that we see, you know, the, that, that Elijah calls fire down from heaven. And, and the first one is, is the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel when he faces off with those. And, and the fire is then ignited from heaven. He calls down fire. But, but the other time that Elijah also calls fire down you remember is when Ahaziah, now Ahaziah, King Ahaziah, he's the king of, um, of the northern ten tribes and uh, there in Samaria. And, and King Ahaziah, he is the son of Ahab and Jezebel, wicked Ahab and wicked Jezebel. And so, uh, so Ahaziah is now the new king, and he's fairly new in, in his appointment as the king. And he is on a patio, falls through a lattice, and he sustains injuries. And he, he's taken up onto his bed, and he wants to know from God if he's going to live or die. And so he sends messengers to go to the prophet and to find out if he's going to live or die. But he doesn't send his messengers to a prophet of God. He sends his messengers to a prophet of Baal, to Beelzebub. And so these messengers now are walking by and they, they leave the palace to go and carry out the instructions. And Elijah is there and he calls to the messengers and he calls them over and he says, is there not a prophet of God? For you to inquire of. And so the Lord has given him a word of knowledge that this is what is transpiring. And he says, go back to King Ahaziah and tell him that the Lord has declared that you will not live. And so the messengers, you know, they immediately return to the palace. And King Ahaziah is like, you're back so soon. They said, yes, we ran into a prophet and he told us that you're not going to live. And so they said, what King Ahaziah says, what did the prophet look like? And they say, well, he was hairy and he had a leather belt. And King Ahaziah is like, oh, Elijah, you know, that's who you ran into. And he's like, that's it. You know, I'm going to have him arrested. So he sends 50 soldiers with a, a captain over the 50 to go and arrest Elijah. And the, the captain comes up with the 50 soldiers. So imagine 50 soldiers to arrest this one person. And 
And so this troop of soldiers come up and, and, and the commander says to Elijah, he says, man of God, I've come here to arrest you and you're to come with me and I'm going to take you to the king. And Elijah says, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down and consume you and whoosh and whoosh, and there go the 50 and they're wiped out. And so King Ahaziah, he hears about this. The word comes back to King Ahaziah. So you know what he does? He sends 50 more. <laughs> and so the next 50, come and the commander of the 50 says to Elijah he says man of God he says I've been sent by the king to arrest you you're to come with me and Elijah says if I am a man of God then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and whoosh and whoosh, and there go the next 50 so what does King Ahaziah do he sends another 50 <laughs> and he sends another 50 with the next captain of the guard and the captain of the guard comes to Elijah and he says please don't consume me with fire I have a wife and children <laughs> have mercy on me and so God tells uh, Elijah you're to go with him and you are to go and you are now to rebuke King Ahaziah and so Elijah goes with him and so so we see here that, that James and John what are, what are they doing they're the sons of th- Thunder. And they are insulted and they're frustrated. And so what do they want to do? Man, they want to take the authority of God and they want to smash people with it. They, they want to vent their frustration on those people that offend. We're going to set up the kingdom of God. And if you don't come in and treat us right, you know, we're going to just call fire down. And, and Jesus is just, I mean, he just kind of looks at him like, what are you guys doing? That is so far from the heart of God. They're so in their flesh, again, to, to not reflecting the, the heart of God. But he turned, verse 55, and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. You see, what Jesus was teaching and and is teaching us today is that God loves every single person. See, God loves every single person. And and you can take and and think about the person that, that is most vocally opposed to what you believe and how you are living into a person that is using their free will to absolutely live in opposition to God and know this, that God loves them, that God hates sin. He hates sin, but he loves every single sinner, every single person. God thought of them. He knitted them together in their mother's womb, just as he did you and I. He drew them out, gave them breath, gave them free will. And he is grieved by that free will that, uh, that uses it to, to break his law and commandment and to live in ways that are not pleasing to him. But he still loves uh, every single person. God wills that none should perish, that all should come to everlasting life. And, and so he wants us also to love every single person. Here we see that they wanted to smash people that were different from them. And and that they wanted to use truth and then hammer that truth onto people. And we see that God has given everybody free will, that he's going to sort that out in the end. And he says, I don't want you to be instruments of judgment. He says, the the judgment is going to come. He says, I want you to be instruments of love. And I want you to learn how to love every single person. 
hate their sin, have compassion on them because they are lost and they are suffering the consequences of their own choices. That's what you have to understand. They're already suffering the consequences of their choices. They're not our enemy. You see, the enemy is the enemy, but people are not our enemy. And so they may be listening to the wrong voices in their life, but God loves every single person, and he's called us to love everybody. He says, they're going to know that you're my disciples, not by the fire you call down from heaven, but by the love that you have, one for another and, and for everyone. And so... We see Jesus now is, uh, is continuing to minister as he goes. And, and the chapter closes with three different people that are invited to come follow after Jesus. And we're going to see three different responses uh, here that are given. Verse 57, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. This person here is caught up in the emotionalism of the, of the movement, of the excitement, and says, I'll, I'll go anywhere you want. And Jesus says, count the cost. And verse 59, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, burying his father didn't mean that his father had actually died. In that day, it was just an expression of, I'm a caretaker of my father. And so once I bury him, in other words, once I no longer have to take care of my father, his father might not have even been sick. Then I will come and follow after you. And, and Jesus says, you know, let and Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And so here we see priorities. And he says that nothing in this life should keep you from being about your father's business here, not even family. And so verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is teaching that the building of the kingdom of God is such vital importance that it has to be our top priority. And so as we close our study here, I just want to draw our attention to this these last three people that were invited to follow and to just just pause on that for a minute. As a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are saved here, if you profess Christ as your Lord, then you are following the Lord already. And so the question that I would have for you this morning to ask yourself is how well am I doing at following the Lord. Here were three different people that, that now were invited to come and to follow. The first person we see, it was about emotionalism. They were connected to Jesus through the excitement and through the energy and through the crowds and through everything that was going on. And, and I want you to know that some people have an emotional relationship with the Lord. And, and those types of walks look something like this. They, they get very close to the Lord. They're very excited. Everything is just amazing. They're at every service. They're worshiping. And then all of a sudden something happens that derails them and then they fall away from the Lord and then there's no Lord in their life at all. And then suddenly they repent again and they're back in church again. They want to get rebaptized. They want to re 
rededicate, they fall away, they're tight with the Lord, and then all of a sudden they disappear, and you don't see them anymore, and they're away from the Lord, and then suddenly it's, no, I'm back, Lord, and I'm sorry. And, and so their relationship to the Lord is tied to their emotions. And emotions go up, and emotions go down, and emotions go all around, and that's the way their spiritual life is, because they're connected through emotions. And God doesn't want us to have this up and down and all over the place relationship with them. He wants a committed, intimate, personal relationship. He wants us in the word and praying on a daily basis, whether we're going through good times or whether we're going through bad times. He wants us to persevere and to build our lives on the solid rock, the foundation of the truth of God's word. And and as our emotions go up and down, we have the steadfast relationship of the Lord in our lives. And now the second person... This was the person who had good intentions. They said, you know, as soon as my father dies, then, man, uh, I am going to come and I'm going to follow you. And that speaks to, to the person that's just got a lot of busyness in their life. You know, when you're a young mother, you got three kids all over the place and they're running around, your hair sticking out. And you're like, Lord, I know my walk isn't where it's supposed to be right now. As soon as these kids are out of my house, then I'm going to have the time to, to really work worship or you know you're in the middle of your career and your job and your overtime and you're stressed out and maxed out on everything and you, you know you know you're not where you're supposed to be and where you want to be but it's just this isn't just this is just not a convenient time right now for me to get where I want to be in my life with you but I have every intention of getting there later on in my life and so that's that that's that good intention I'm going to follow you closer but not not right now cuz it's just not convenient and and I just want you to know that the problem with that walk is that they're trying to follow the Lord with the excess time and energy that they have in their life. And, and the problem with that is, is that God wants your first part and then build your life around that, not fit him in on top of how your life is going and waiting for your life to calm down when the phone isn't ringing and there's nothing going on. You've got plenty of time to just really spend with the Lord because when is that day going to come? Never. That day is never going to come. And so he ministers to the person that's following, but has every intention of later on, I am going to get close to you. And, and the last person that wants to go, and uh, he wants to settle affairs at his house and say goodbye, and, and he wants to come. He's trying to balance both worlds. This is the carnal Christian. This is the person that, that wants everything good in their life. They want the world, but then they also want their relationship with the Lord, and they're pulled between those two worlds. And, and what does Jesus say there? Jesus says, you have to make a decision. You can't live with a foot in both camps. It's not going to be satisfying to you. You're never going to, to live out the full blessings that God has to you when you keep trying to take the best that the world has to offer and balance it with the best that the kingdom of God has to offer. And this is what you're going to find out at the end. That the things of the world were completely unsatisfying. 
and that only the things of the kingdom of God are what satisfy a person's life and soul. And so you will have missed out (laughs) being distracted by the things that were inconsequential and you sacrifice the things that were important. And so he invites us to get over that battle and to get both feet into the kingdom. Don't look back and press forwards. Build the kingdom of God in your heart and in your life. How are you doing today? Where are you in your walk with the Lord and following Jesus? As you hear him say today, follow me. How well are we doing at following? And may the Lord help us in our following after Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. And Lord, we just ask that you would just minister to each and every one of us. Lord, as we see the flesh of the disciples, as they're battling for recognition and and fighting with one another, disputing, and and Lord, we we recognize that, that we need to take our flesh and crucify it every day. And pick up our cross and follow after you. Help us, Lord, to follow after you. Bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.